Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Start doing it. Don't worry about the money. Do what you love. The money will follow. And you have to really enjoy the process. I know that sounds really stupid. But the only thing is people ask me, well, how do I start? How do I do it? And I said, you won't. It will do you. If you do not do it, you will lose your mind. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope your holidays are great. And I know you're going to love this part two episode a lot. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Instagram or Twitter at Barry Katz or at BarryKatz.com. And I'm really excited about this show today, part two of two with Jamie Kennedy. And when I think about Jamie Kennedy, I think about a guy who started from nothing and created something great with all the muscles that he had acting stand-up sketch prank work just incredible and when you get to work with some of the greatest people in the world think about it his first role was with leonardo dicaprio and john leguizamo he's worked with wes craven Steve Martin, Greg Kinnear, Guy Pierce, Pierce Brosnan, David O. Russell, Tony Scott, Will Smith, Vin Diesel, and George Clooney. How do you work with all those people if you don't do the kind of work that they respect? Yeah, you can fool people once or twice in film, but you can't fool them that many times. You have to be able to deliver. And then when you deliver, the legend grows. And it grows and grows. And people know that you can do it. People know that you're capable of walking on a set and killing it in any capacity. People know. People talk. Work begets work. And Jamie's a nice guy. He's calm. He's relaxed. And he just makes you feel really wonderful. When it gets time to do the work, he does the work. He gets in there 
and he really does a tremendous job. And that's why people, all these names, worked with him. You don't work with this many people unless you're doing something special, unless you're making a noise that people have to listen to. That's how it happens. That's how people keep getting job after job after job. You don't get job after job after job with household names. When you're doing shitty work, or you're doing good work, or you're doing average work, or very good work, you have to be excellent. You have to pop on screen. And you have to train every day to figure out how you pop on screen. And then you can create your own things, TV, film, where you create your own characters that pop, that you own, that you put together, that you're proud of. And I can guarantee you, if you do that, you'll have the kind of career that Jamie Kennedy has had. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Last one. Joan Rivers. <sighs> you know, I have only met Melissa a lot. And I've not only met, I'm very blessed. Hello, Melissa. I'm a big fan. Joan Rivers had a huge impact on me. You know what I mean? It's funny because we're all in these identity politics and gender politics and race politics. And it's like, I was being raised by a woman. That I didn't even, I was just being raised by a funny person. Joan Rivers is, so she's one of our goats. You know, she is one of our goats. And I didn't look at her as anything other than a funny entity. But I just remember her. Greatest of all time, not a goat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, greatest of all time. I just remember her because she would be making me laugh. She'd be like, oh, my parents, they hated me. They would test my bath water with my face. Oh, they, Halloween, they dressed me as a speed bump. Like it was, she would murder. She was one of the late nights. And uh, I believe Jay does an incredible impression of her too, but. Jay Moore. Yeah. And she, she, she was so funny. And then when I started doing this, this weird journey of what I'm trying to do, I read her book. I saw her book. It was like, you know, a buck. It was in the band I picked it up. It was called Enter Laughing, I believe. That's right. And I just devoured that thing for a week. And it's thick. And the tenacity that she had, the talent that she had, the background that she had, she had not, the cat skills. I mean, she was just cut her teeth in the hardest of rooms. And she, the first time after like, Five, seven, eight years of really popping before five or seven years of really struggling. I mean, 14 years in, some maybe 10 years in. She goes to the Tonight Show and she murders Johnny Carson, does the whole thing, goes to the seat. And he's like, oh my God, well, where have you been? I haven't ever saw something yet before. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, tell your booker, tell your booker. <laughs>
four fucking times. I couldn't get by the book. Like it's, and she was just telling me, it's just like, they'll never ever know you exist. If you don't get into their yard, something like that. And she was like, the people loved her, but the, the gatekeepers would block her. And she was like, she was mad and cost a lot of her career, her early career. And John Travolta also said something one time. He's like, sometimes we don't make movies for the public. We make movies for the people that make movies. And that's a deeper convo, but you get that. Absolutely. And I just, Joan Rivers was an amazing example of tenacity and hilarity. Your proudest moment in show business. Harry, come on, that's hard. That's a hard one, but I got a couple. That's a hard Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple. Man's Chinese seeing my name on the marquee literally in lights. Malibu's most wanted. The famous Man's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, and my mom there with me. That was that was a beautiful moment. <sighs> Faye Dunaway, one time I worked with her and she said on TV that she thought I was brilliant. You know, being, you know, whether I am or not, I have no idea, but someone like that. You have no idea? <laughs> I think I'm pretty good, but, like, it's getting blessed by someone like that uh, was a big thing for me. Um, I'd say man Chinese off the top of my head, but just because that was, like, what you work for. It was a movie star, iconic moment, and your mom and your dad are like, okay, you did all right, Jamie, very excited about this. We're going to really get down and dirty okay. and pull back the curtain, get inside the mind of what it's like to be a great, great artist and how to master a career in the comedy business. Okay. Ready? All right. So talk about your process of getting ready to audition for an acting role. Now you had seen Jack Nicholson walk into, you know, place with a script. He's got every, you know, he's got these little tabs on. Mm -hmm. You're like, this this dude's here to work. Mm -hmm. So, but before you knew anything about the world of acting, you still had to go in and book your first job. So your first job you ever booked as an actor, not a commercial job, which is acting, but I'm talking about a theatrical, like a TV or a movie, what was the first thing you booked? <clears throat> that wasn't an extra job. One of the first. The first. I think it might have been the first job. Well, VR Troopers, was like the first job, but it was non-union and it didn't really resonate. It didn't go past pilot, but I would say the first, okay, here's one, here's one. Cause I did something called The Corner with Stan Latham, which was a huge break for me. And Stan Latham, for those of you who don't know, great director, he also directs all of Dave Chappelle's specials. I go in for a show called California Dreams. Great. That's a Peter Engel show. Um, he did Saved by the Bell and also worked with me creating uh, Last Comic Standing with Jay Moore. So you get the script for California Dreams. Mm -hmm. 
when you get the script, what's your process to work on it to go into the audition at that time? At that time, I'm practicing it. I'm looking at the mirror. I'm saying it. I say the words over and over and over again. I try to get off book and I try to jamify it, meaning what can I add? So I always have what they have. And then I always, always write something else unless it's like insanely perfect that I don't want to mess with it. Like Scream was one of, I don't know maybe four scripts I've ever read, five in my whole career of things I've done and not done that you never would touch a line. Like Scream was like perfectly float. So I always try to add gestures. At that time, I used, try to use my skill set. So I'm good at voices or a character or whatever. So I would break it down, Circle my lines. We're getting technical here. This is good. Try to memorize it as much as I can. Be off book. Stop. Have a cup of coffee or a protein shake. Come back two hours later and then we'll write what I would do. What are the things you circle? What's the significance of the words you circle? Well, that's how you know it's your your time to go, your line. And it's also... Uh, it's... Um, you underline stuff if you want to hit it or you scratch it out if you don't like it or, you know, I took some chances like, you know, I'm a, you know, I kind of live and die by my own process. So there, there's something I don't like. I may try to go in and kill so hard that they'll, they might not notice that I cut out a, a line or two of theirs or I got to get my take. So I'll go in and I go, here's what it is. Blah, 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 blah. I really believe I have my own take on it and blah, blah, blah. So... I, I really believe in bringing your voice. You gotta believe in your own. I would try to make it my own in that way. So I would see what they say. It was only a little part, but I could have fun with it. So this was, uh, it was uh, under five. That's what they're called. You should tell your audience what that is, which is, <laughs> it's good though. I mean, I worked no. my way up from extra to feature to, under five. It's good. You get under five lines, and they pay you a certain amount of money for that. And then if you get past that, it's the next step. Is a recur, right? <laughs> so these are good, though. So these are all. So I go in, and it, the role is a guy with hiccups. And I practice it, my hiccups. I was like, cow, cow, he's with cowabunga, whatever, right? Is a hiccup a line? It was, it was, it was a line, but I made it, I, I stretched that hiccup out, man. And a lot of times artists try to stretch things oh, out. Oh yeah. And so they can get over five lines so they get more money. more money. I just did it. She laughed and she's like, good job. And I'll never forget this. I was leaving. And at the time there was a tiny little article written about me in the Hermosa Beach Weekly, and it said the elf who would be king. <laughs> and it was, I was doing comedy, I was starting to get a teeny bit of recognition, it was the local art section. And I said, can I tell you something? And she said, what? And I said, I said, that's me. And she's like, huh? And I said, look, I know that I was probably okay, this, whatever, and I go, but, I know that you're gonna see 10 more people or 50 more people. It's Friday afternoon, it's four o'clock. I'm going in the weekend, I have no money. I believe I'm good. You wanna see a bunch more people? I said, just read that. I'm going places and I believe that I can do this role. You'd be doing me a solid. You don't have to cast me, but I believe I'm going places. 
never did anything like that in my life. And she goes, okay, I'll read. Six o'clock. This is back. Pager beeps. Pay phone. Call the number. Can you be here at Monday, 9 a.m.? Boom. Can you bring this amount of wardrobe? Bam. Booked it. Now, the acting was one part of it. Great. But I took a moment in that time to just speak to her humanity. And it worked. It doesn't, it doesn't always work. So that was my first process of me being who I am. And I want to tell people out there that the town will try to squish you down and try to confine you into a box. And what makes us great is that we're all unique. Okay. No one else is Leslie Jones. Okay. Leslie Jones is Leslie Jones. No one else is Jay Moore. No one else is Jamie Kennedy. And if you can express that, you have to find the people that find it. So in my auditions, I would try to be the role for a while. And then I think when I started working was when I tried to be me within that role, if that makes sense. It really does. So tell me about the process of testing for Saturday Night Live. So you find out you're getting the test. Take our audience through what you believe is a winning formula process. Now, even though you didn't get the show, uh, based on not having Here's how not to get it. political characters. Mm -hmm. You were there that night. Farley was watching you. Uh, Laura Keitling was there. Lauren Michaels, Marcy Klein, the executive producer. You saw a bunch of comedians perform. You know the people have got the show. You know what you did. What's your process that you would recommend for testing for Saturday Night Live to give it your best shot? And what bold choices did you make to blow them away? This is 25 years ago, but I'll try to remember. Um, the first thing I did was you got to work out your five. So you do as many sets as you can before your audition. You get your impression down, you get your character down. You write the whole thing out. First thing you do is muscle memory. You write it out. You know what's working. You say it out. Then you go to different clubs, all different types of clubs to try it out. I don't know. I probably tried it. The set was already working, but I had tried it out probably 10 times before that from open mics to, you know, you know, the store, you know, just try to get it going. Uh, and then when I got to New York, I did nothing. I did, I believe, two sets in the city the night before. And I didn't talk to really anybody. I stayed in my room and I just did it. <laughs> I was a psycho. I stayed in my room and I just did it over and over again. Repetition. Repetition. Get it so you forget it. So get so you know it. I know that sounds really cliche, but then you kind of have to just have fun with it. And that means like not caring if you get it or not. Now, I did not do that. I had... I didn't really have fun. I'm sure it was a hell on earth, nerve wracking, but I was just wanted to hit it. And how much of your test was your stand up incorporated into characters and how much was characters that you created and impressions you created simply for this test? No, it was all from my stand up. I didn't do anything new. 
I, you got to know what works. That's what got me there. So I wasn't going to throw in a Hail Mary at the 11th hour. I'm not saying it can't work, but for me, I wanted to do stuff I was comfortable with. And I had heard that you had to audition on the stage and no one laughs. So I'm here in a club and people are laughing and I'm doing great. So I'm like, so my biggest thing is prepare yourself, practice it, take the stuff that works and just know it so you can forget you know it. Talk about how you feel you are when you're in a situation where there's somebody on a set that's not positive, Ooh. that that is bringing the production down, but no one's firing them, and they're consequently bringing you down. How do you overcome that and move forward to give the greatest performances of your life when you know there's somebody, one or two people on set that are almost feels like they're working against you? Wow, that is such a good question. Oh man, that's so dark. I'm good for one a year. But it's sad though that that happened. It's sad, and I mean, why is he asking that question? It's because you know, some anyone you've worked with has had this. There are just negative. Um, there's haters. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. There are these people that don't understand that this is a bull, uh, we're fortunate. You know, I used to work at Domino's Pizza. Being on a set next to Robin Williams, you're fortunate, you know. Um, I've been pretty lucky, though, I have to say. It's all the big productions and the stuff that I'm known for were usually pretty damn great. I've been very fortunate. Some of the stuff that I'm not known for. It's usually the lower tier stuff and those type of people. I would say this. I would say that you have to just stay in your lane. You know what I mean? You stay in your lane because there are toxic environments. Um, so for me, I've never really had a terrible situation where it would derail me. It would be hard to derail me anyway because I'm very good at compartmentalizing. But just kind of stay to yourself, keep your own tribe that you know, stay focused, and don't get involved. Because I will say that that drama will usually take care of itself. Um, but I would not get involved with it. But I have seen sets blow up, but I, it hasn't affected me. But it has affected the set. One of the things you've been privy to is you've been able to 
sit down and create something that was never done before. And I'm talking about the Jamie Kennedy experiment. One of my favorite shows of all time because it was one of the first hybrid kind of sketch. It combined sketch, it combined prank, and it was a comedy show that was really pretty impressive. And you were the guy who was in the middle of it because you did makeup changes and nobody knew who you were. Mm -hmm. It was like the masked singer for sketch, prank, part scare tactics sometimes. It just had elements of everything. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm so honored in my career about is something that had nothing to do with me managing or producing anything. But your first pilot episode, you, Adam Small, and Fax Bear, who were the showrunners, mm -hmm. invited me all day to watch the entire thing, along with Jordan Levin, the president of the WB, mm -hmm. and um, Catherine Lettery, mm -hmm. a bunch of people at WB. And, and I was like a guest... I don't know what you call it, somebody to just be there and if you wanted my opinion, I was there, if you asked. Mm -hmm. And that was such a great feeling. Also, the way, the place where you filmed it, it was this great thing. Because, you know, people think, oh, well, you know, is this possible that this hasn't been done before? And the thing is... Yes, even how it was shot with the stand-up thing it was in the round and like almost like a like a coliseum-like atmosphere, but inside of a studio. Mm -hmm. And I, I really want you to share with the audience who want to create their own thing from scratch that can be a vehicle for them to star in, executive produce, write. Mm -hmm and put together something that blows people the fuck away. Mm -hmm. I want you to share that process, even if it's a little long, of the day before you didn't even have the idea to how you made it come to fruition and created something that was really magical that I remember watching an episode of Oprah and you did the Jamie Kennedy experiment mm. with Oprah and a possible assistant. Yeah. The biggest thing you could possibly ever have happen to you if you have a television show. Yeah, she was really great to me. You know you're integral in the show. Do you I, remember? Do you remember? <laughs> you didn't say that. I'm not going to let you tell the story. <laughs> Do you remember? I, I can have a little humility. Okay. <laughs> Barry is one of our curators of comedy. And so I believe we invited you after the show was going to the taping when we play back the bits. And you were like, man, you were really respectful and you loved it. But before it went into production, you didn't know what it was going to be. Do you remember that? And you were like, this could be one of two ways. You could really do it and it could go. So you were around that whole beginning. Um, you always believed in it, though, and you thought it was interesting, but you told me, I'll never forget this, you told me it's all 
in the execution. How are you going to execute it? So I'll try to give you the cliff notes of it. But at that time in the early 2000s and the 90s, everybody was the networks were you did stand up. You got a development deal. And everybody was trying to be Tim Allen, George Lopez, Ray Romano. So they would always go to the clubs, try to pluck you, get a development deal. So I had whole, I didn't get SNL, had no idea what I was going to do. So I had a couple of holding deals. Holding, holding, holding. A holding deal for you guys is, there's two kinds of deals. They don't exist anymore. <laughs> In this realm, there's the development deal, there's the holding deal. The development deal is a deal where they pay you money and you are in development for your own television show. And if they don't choose to go forward with that, they can then put you into another deal if you agree to it. If not, you give back the money and you normally have two bites of the apples if your thing doesn't work. A holding deal technically can be something like that happened with Tracy Morgan and the WB. It's January 1st, they pay you $60,000, they hold you until the end of pilot season, and they say, look, we're not necessarily gonna do your show, but we wanna have you for our network in case there's a role that comes up so that ABC doesn't get you. And that was what you had. But in the back of your mind, you were like, yeah, I know I have this, but I have this other show in the back of my life. So I had a holding deal and I had a I had a deal with Fox and it was for a lot of money and the president I sat there with the president his name was Sandy Grushaw and this was after a couple of development deals which were like 25 a piece. This was a holding deal for a year and it was a lot of money. I don't know if I should say the number but it was a good amount. And he's not going to say the number, but normally the amount of money that these things paid back then, they were a minimum of 150000 and they could go up to $500,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on extreme cases, people like John DeResta, who did a show called DeResta on UPN when he was their only thing, he got six fifty. But, you know, for the most part, that was the range. Yeah, it's it was great. And you don't realize it because it was pretty easy to get. So I was getting my movies. I was getting hot. But I wasn't sure I wanted to do TV. Did a pilot for a huge studio named Big Ticket. Larry Little. Big Ticket was run by Larry Little. Created a show called Judge Judy. That pilot did not go. But TV really liked me. Got a big holding deal for Fox. They said... You want to develop something with you? I said, great. And they said, but in the meanwhile, have at the studio and let's see if we can fit you in somewhere, which I was fine to do that. First stop was a guy named Greg Daniels. Greg Daniel, who is married to Susan Daniels, who ran the WB mm -hmm. at that time after Jordan Levin, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's fascinating. And also created The Office. Created a show called The Office. Also King of the Hill, many things. We talked, we vibed, nothing came out of it. Then I auditioned for a show with a young animator named Seth McFarlane. Never heard of him. And it was for Family Guy. And it was for the son, this overweight kid named Chris. And I remember in the hallway seeing other actors and one of them was a guy named Seth Green. And had a great audition, didn't get that. 
I think I auditioned for something else at Fox that was a show, but I couldn't get anything. That deal ran out. What does Barry say back then? I mean, I hate to say, but they were, it was a beautiful time. They were throwing money like candy. Went right to the WB. That was Fox. So Fox, the studio, was holding me to develop something to sell to networks. Met with the WB. They pretty much almost matched Fox's deal. And so for a year. So the WB actually incorporated me. There was something, there was a show called, this is so much information, but you're gonna like it for your people. There was a show called, oh God, Singing Star, something star. And it was a British format. And I was one of the reporters that would go around. And one of the people was a group called Eden's Crush. The lead singer was a girl named Nicole Schweizinger, who became Pussycat Dolls. Nicole Scherzinger. Yes. That show was killed for another format that went to Fox called American Idol. So the WB had a form of American Idol. And I was like, not Seacrest, but a mini Seacrest. I would do a guest spot on a show here or there. Nothing happened, but I had this show. I had all these characters. I had the SNL audition. And what I wanted to do was show people that I could do this. Now, I believe you'll get this. There's, there's, mo there's, there's movie funny. There's TV funny. And then there's funny funny. So I had the ability and the fortunate to be on sets and stuff. And people laugh at my stuff or watch other actors and people would laugh at. Or I had the, the fortune of being on TV shows and watch people get laughs. But I never seen laughs like I ever saw like in the clubs. And so there's a, just a difference between being funny on stage in a club at midnight in New York City than there is on a set. That's to me the goods of the goods of the goods. Do you agree? So I felt like I had all of this stuff from my stand-up that wasn't being expressed. I loved SNL. And I loved Alan Funt. I loved Candy Camera. So the WB, Jordan said, who was a great guy. It's like Barry. When I refer to Barry like this, Barry's like a cool dude who has power. So Jordan was one of those dudes. And Jordan would watch me as a young executive. Jordan Levin. And he would say he ended up becoming the co-president with Suzanne Daniels. And my agents brought me in. They said, we want to hold Jamie for a year. And he says, I want to develop something with you. He goes, I really want people to see your funny side. And I said, okay. And he said, you're so funny when you bomb. <laughs> and he said, I would watch you eat it so many times. And then the funny would begin of how mad you would get. And he goes, God, you kill me when you bomb. And I would bomb a lot at the Laugh Factory. <laughs> and <laughs> one time I got bumped. But if you're going to get bumped, I got bumped by Rodney Dangerfield, which is one of the greatest bumps. And I just ate it after. And I was so mad. And he's like, boy, when you got bumped by Rodney, boy, that was. So it's just like, so he was a true fan. He saw this rough, whatever I was, knew that I had something, knew that I could do characters. I would do characters like on my show. I would do them in stand up and people would just look at me because it would take a minute to get to a joke. But I was doing a character. First producer I had was a guy named Jeff Boggs. He was great. He worked with Tom Green, uh, 
which was also at that time the hugest thing, making a new type of show. He also had a show on NBC that was hidden camera. So Jeff Boggs was the guy. Didn't work out with him. He got busy. His deal ran out. Boom. Then I had a deal with Mike. Michael Davies was always a fan of mine and gave me one of my first, first jobs on the Disney Channel. It's a way other story. And he came to the EP and he said, we're going to do something with your characters. And at that time, he, I believe, bought the rights for a show from London that he says, I'm going to sell here and it's going to be a hit. And it's called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? But I also believe he was telling me he was trying to get the rights of a show about people on an island. But I don't think he got them. And that was called Survivor. So remember this, right? This is no one's doing this stuff. We had him, 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 him. His deal ran out. He got busy. So two really accomplished EPs. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Deal's done. And I remember Brad Gray said 95% of TV is failing. 5% maybe you get to a pilot. 5% of that maybe you get for a season. 5% of that maybe you get the syndication. It's like, so I've had all these processes. Jordan says, I want to extend your deal for six months. I mean, this is a guy that the tenacity and belief of someone, this is a person that really helped create my career. Jordan Levin is one of the five people that is, I put him up there with Wes Craven. And he extended it for six months. He goes, we have to figure this out. You got these characters, you got this. And he brought in two guys named Fax and Adam. Who created Mad TV. Which I auditioned for, I did not get. They were doing a show that was really inventive on UPN called Gary and Mike with Harlan Williams. Which was Claymation, it was fantastic. Totally unique show. Harlan is a totally unique talent. And I'm like, okay, what do you guys want to do? They walk in the room, they sit with me, and they go, and Adam Smalls goes, it's called the Jamie Kennedy Experiment. And I was like, and he said, and every week, this world is your lab. And I was like, dude. And we just, because I had all the characters. 
I had, you know, some good lines and stuff I would improvise, but this is how I would do it, how I would read Eddie Murphy. There's a great SNL book, and you should read where Eddie Murphy would go in, I believe, improvise a character, and then the writers would just take out what he did and form a sketch. So that's what I would do. I started just doing all my characters, and these guys would just come up with situations. You got 15 minutes. He would do, he, he, he would, he would come in, cut around that. He would come in, and these facts and Adam would just start fucking writing these these things and these scenarios with me. So Jordan says, This is a amazing show, but I want to tell you how it is. I'm giving you backstory because of how also you just sometimes you have to be prepared, you have to be professional, but sometimes you just do get lucky. So Jordan, who's a cool dude says, I want you to do a test prank. And I said, what is it? And he goes, there's some, you know, I want you to do a joke on the advertisers for the upfronts. Now the upfronts is where they invite all the advertisers that are trying to buy um, <sighs> advertising from the network. This is how TVs. To New York and they entertain and they show them the lineups and they hope that they buy ad time on their shows. So there's a guy named Jamie Kellner who is one of like eight most powerful people in town. And they said, you're going to be Jamie Kellner's nephew and you want to get in the advertising game. So the joke is that you're going to inter interview all these advertising in these brands and you're going to redo it. So I was like, you know, Coke, you know, you got to figure out how to fix Coke. And I was like, you know, Coke used to have a little Coca in it, you know, all this stuff, everything that was tempting. So we did a joke on the advertisers to show, because Jordan's like, let's do a simple test tape. He then played that tape, that seven minute sketch, to the advertisers at the upfronts. It destroyed. Killed. Destroyed. And he's like, welcome to the WB. You just got a show. And because we were still figuring out what the show was, and we kind of knew that's what it wanted to be. Bam, we went back to L.A. I'll never forget us. And he goes, I have X amount of money. This is so different the way it is now. You guys have no idea. He goes, I got, he goes, I got seven and a half million bucks. Can you do 13? And Adam's like, <laughs> <laughs> dot the I, move the one. And he's like, uh, 533 and up? He's like, if you can make 533 and up work, figure that out amongst yourselves. You got 13 on air. In the room, Barry. When is, remember those days? The polo lounge, the napkin with the French fries. Can you make it work for that? Now you run in for a fucking episode of fucking Major Crimes ninth season. And it's like it was 19 people making decisions. Boom. And that was the beginning of it. And we went down and dirty. I went every joke, every book, every character. Hired the youngest, coolest writers. Also some of the greatest older writers. And I was blessed. I had... Gary Hart, who's just one of the greatest comedian writers. Um, and I had these great, great voices who really encouraged me. Talk about hating. There was the opposite of that. There was nothing but love. And it was such in a beautiful atmosphere. And we started just creating everything. Nothing was too crazy. It was the most. So we could do whatever we want. We really just gave into our creative id. Became the number one show on the network. It did. And what I've the backstory to all that is is look at all the things that could have stopped it. 
so we we did, we did, we did, but we also got lucky. Tell our audience your process for bombing. You see all your peers going up before you. They're killing. Yeah. You go on, you bomb. Then they go up after you, they kill. Yeah. How do you handle that? And what advice do you have for a comedian who bombs? And how do they get back on the horse and go back out there the next time and do well? You have to look at all of this creative stuff. And and this is just a try. That's all it is. It's a try. We're trying. You know what I mean? It's never going to be done. It's never going to be perfect. You can get as close to what you want, but it's just a try. And you are going to bomb. And that is part of the process because you don't, the audience are the notes and the jokes and your delivery is the guitar. So you could play the guitar in your room and know what notes you're hitting. You can't tell if a joke works until you test it in front of people. And their reaction is the, is, is the notes, right? So you're going to have to bomb. You have to make peace with that process. Now, when you bomb and where you bomb can maybe be, you know, manipulated a little bit. If it's a hot room, if it's a showcase, I suggest you go with your A-est material. Do not try something out on a Saturday night main room show. But if it's a late night and you're working and the crowd's a little rough, try new stuff out. How do you deal with a bomb? You have to get right back on stage. You have, because you will question yourself. You will question your existence. You will question if you're good. You will question if this is the right road, especially, especially in the early days. You only live from set to set, laugh to laugh. So you have to get right back on the horse. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. SNL is up there. I would say right now, those two. SNL, because I really had no idea what I was going to do after that. I remember sitting in front of the comedy store and going, what, what am I going to do? Like, what? that was what I wanted to do. That's why I started this whole thing for. Um, and then realizing that I had nothing else kind of propelled me into really understanding what comedy is and really focusing on it and not just using it to get something, but using it as it. Um, my biggest disappointment, though, professionally, would have to be Son of the Mask. Um, and that was very painful and a very painful process. And I've learned a lot from it. Um, and I think the number one thing you can learn from that is that you have to follow your instincts. At that time, I was the hottest in my career. I was getting thrown a ton of money. I kept saying no. My team kept saying no. But the money kept coming, schedules kept getting arranged, and it was so much promise to me that I was like, okay. And then as the process happened, a lot of the promises weren't exactly the way they were. And I had zero control over the outcome of the movie. And yet the movie had so much expectations. And I was on my little path of creating my own voice. And instead, you know, I was plucked, which I'm very grateful for to follow, you know, one of the biggest icons ever in comedy, which wasn't a good choice because that was his 
material. And I was trying to make it my own, but they wanted me to kind of do a version of that. And it was just too big of a battle. And um, I should have just said no and kept on my own little creative path. So follow your own instincts. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in a small town like Darby (laughs) and navigating through Upper Darby and navigating through everything and and getting to the point where they want to be in comedy and having the kind of amazing career that you've had? It's a different world now. You know, it's you don't need to go to people to bless you. You can bless yourself. You can use all the social media tools, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. You can create your own. You can pop out of Cleveland. You can pop out of Philly. So you can just do it. I would say start doing it. Don't worry about the money. Do what you love. The money will follow. And you have to really enjoy the process. I know that sounds really stupid, but the only thing is people ask me, well, how do I start? How do I do it? And I said, you won't. It will do you. If you do not do it, you will lose your mind. Amazing. Jamie, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Incredible. Appreciate you, man. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.